Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Steve Asawa continues our series of messages on the book of Acts, today looking at Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 41. And now, here's Steve. Good morning. Thank you, Dave and Becky and Vicky, for just tuning our hearts and our minds to the Lord Jesus. It's just, um, <clears throat> we can sing in the good times, we can praise Him at all times, uh, in the good and the sad. Um, sorry. We just uh, found out this morning that we lost a, a close friend who went home to be with the Lord. So, even though we're we're sad uh, to see her go, we rejoice because we know where she is because she had her faith in Jesus and she's there singing and praising Him now. And praise the Lord for that. So, and I guess uh, we, we sing sometimes. Uh, some of these things kind of hit you a little harder. As uh, Dave mentioned, we're going to resume our study in the book of Acts this morning. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, please turn in it to Acts chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at uh, verses 12 to 42. Uh, I'll be using the English Standard Version uh, for the readings this morning. Now, before we get up to that point, you may recall, or if you've uh, read through the book of Acts, that the apostles had recently healed a man who had been crippled from birth. And the people flocked to see them in the portico called Simon, or called Solomon's. So it was like a big porch inside the wall. Peter used the opportunity to tell them about Jesus and noted that they had handed Jesus over to be killed and that they were witnesses to this. He then noted that the man who had been healed through faith in Jesus and all needed to repent of their wickedness. And so they were arrested, and the next day they were brought before the rulers, the elders, and the scribes. And they talked again about Jesus and his resurrection power. And the people couldn't argue, though, because the man who had been healed was there. You can just think of it. And I submit to you, Exhibit A, this man who was healed. So what happened? They commanded the apostles to stop talking about Jesus, to which Peter and John replied, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They prayed that God would stretch out his hand and heal all who were, and all were filled with the Holy Spirit and shared their belongings. Then a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property and they were struck dead for lying about the transaction. The disciples prayed, sorry, if you take away only one thing from my message this morning, it's this. We should be so amazed at God's grace so full of love for God that will go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching and teaching the good news that Jesus Christ died and rose again 
so people could repent of their sin and receive God's forgiveness. Before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace towards me and people like me. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to come to earth, to live, to die, and to rise again, to dress the sin of the world, including ours. It's just so amazing. What amazing love. Thank you, Father, for your spirit and your word. And I just pray this morning, Father, that as we open your word, you would guide my words through your spirit. Open all our hearts and minds to what you would have us learn and apply. And may you receive the honor and glory. And we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So our passage this morning, where I'm going to start just after Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead for their sin. Reading from Acts 5, verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were done regularly among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even they carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed." Remember, the apostles had recently prayed for boldness and signs and wonders. And this is their prayer from Acts 4, 29-30. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Their prayer was answered. People were superstitious and were told that they even laid the sick in the streets so that Peter's shadow might cover them. They felt that Peter's shadow itself had magical powers. I'm not so sure that those specific people were healed or not. The signs and wonders did get people's attention, though. It helped validate the apostles, and people knew that they were the real deal. Word traveled far, and people from the surrounding towns came into Jerusalem with the people in need of healing, and were told all were healed. As impressive as the signs and wonders were, their purpose, though, was to open people's hearts and minds to the message of repentance through faith in Jesus. So the signs and wonders are all secondary. We're told that none of the rest dared to join the apostles, although they did hold them in high esteem. And the rest of the people, I think here, refers to non-believers. Nobody dared to pretend to be following Jesus after this point. They saw what happened, or they heard what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. There's no pretenders. You're either in or you're out. We know, however, that many more did come to the Lord and believe in the Lord. 
verse 17 says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. The leaders were filled with jealousy. Now, jealousy could refer to the zeal that they had to get them to follow them in their approach to God's commandments. Or, ze- or jealousy could refer to them being indignant towards the apostles' teaching. Or it could refer to them just being envious of the success that the apostles were having. Regardless, it was clear that they were opposed to the apostles performing signs and wonders and telling people about Jesus. They wanted the people to follow them, not Jesus. So I think most people here ever play Monopoly. And you kind of go and you start and you go down that first row and you turn the corner and you start going, the properties, the prizes are the rents are more expensive, you're kind of, things are going forward, and all of a sudden, you hit that thing on the corner. That one on the corner. As it was for the apostles. Things seemed to be moving, people were coming to know the Lord, they're performing signs and wonders, and then it's, oh, go to jail. Go directly to jail, do not pass go, do not collect 200 denarii. Oh man, like, this is like Groundhog Day. Except this time, an angel of the Lord lets them out early. Now, people would have known that angels existed. And we see other examples of this in Acts too. The apostles are told to speak the words of this life. In other words, they're told to speak the message of salvation and a new life in being a follower of Jesus. Perhaps some of you are. Uh, I've never been much of a morning person although I seem to experience more sunrises now than I have uh, when I was younger. I'm not sure, though, how much I would remember if I was listening to the message in the temple at sunrise. Uh, I think uh, I would have had to heard that a couple of times. But people started early in those days, so it's appropriate that the apostles began teaching at daybreak. And since we started well past daybreak, uh, I trust everyone here will be able to stay awake through this whole thing. Sorry. Verse 21b. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Hmm. Now when the captain of the temple and chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men you have put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Now the council, or the Sanhedrin, was their version of the Supreme Court. It was comprised of 71 men, including scribes, elders, members of the high priest's family. 
It included Sadducees and Pharisees. And these two groups had some pretty significant differences uh, when it came to beliefs. One of them was resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spirits. Now, it must have been pretty awkward for these officers when they went to get the prisoners and they weren't there. Someone's not going to be too happy about this. I'm just glad I wasn't on duty that night. We see later in this book, in the book of Acts, just how serious it was and what the jailer's reaction was when he thought his prisoner had escaped. And these jailers didn't even seem to realize that they were guarding an empty cell. And it must have been pretty awkward for the Sanhedrin as well. They were the decision makers, the power brokers. People obeyed them. And yet here, they gathered together and the prisoners are missing. And the guards are still in place. Perplexing indeed. You can just picture all these people trying to make sense of what they were told. I think though they went from perplexed to relieved when someone told them where they were, to insulted, even furious, when they learned that the prisoners were teaching in the temple. Verse 26 says, Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, sorry, not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So the captain and the officers are now in a really tough spot. Please step aside, make way, folks. We're just doing our jobs. Perhaps some of them were praying themselves. Oh, Lord, God, please don't let them stone us. The apostles could have got the crowd riled up to save them, but they didn't. They went willingly. Peter is reminded that they were not to teach this name and that they intended to bring his blood on them. Now, interesting, the high priest doesn't even say the name Jesus. You know, you know, you were supposed, you weren't supposed to be talking about this name. You know who I'm talking about? Like that guy. And it seems very strange. He won't even mention the name Jesus. It also seems ironic as not that long before, Pilate wanted to release Jesus and the crowds were calling saying, no, not Jesus, release Barabbas. And what should I do with Jesus? Crucify him. And Pilate, when Pilate washed his hands before the crowds, he claimed his innocence over Jesus' blood and the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. And now the complaint is you're trying to blame his blood on us. The leaders, or most of them anyway, saw Jesus as a blasphemer 
as one who is trying to lead people away from their interpretation of God, God's commandments for the nation of Israel. They were bent on eliminating this troublemaker, and they broke their own rules to do so. And Peter tells them, we must obey God rather than men, and boldly speaks truth to power. Really spoke truth to power. He points out the reality that they crucified Jesus, even if it was done through the Romans. It was premeditated murder, for which the punishment is death. He then notes that God, however, turned things around and exalted Jesus at his right hand. And people are called to repent and receive forgiveness of their sins. And the apostles were witnesses, as was the Holy Spirit, whom God gives to those who believe in him. So the supreme authority was told it was wrong, 100% wrong. Peter, the simple fisherman, was telling this elite Sanhedrin they didn't know God's will, and they were guilty of murder. They had rejected the one who offered life in a relationship with God. I'm not sure what part stung more, people putting their faith and trust in Jesus, or the fact that they were being accused of murder, or the fact that they were just wrong and we're missing God's will in their lives. Verse 33 says, When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee and the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they are counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Gamaliel was probably one of the best-known and most highly respected Pharisees of his time. And interestingly, one of his students was a man named Saul. We see this from uh, Acts 22.3, where Saul says he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel provided sound advice and gave two examples of previous uprisings. We aren't quite sure about the details related to Thutis or who he was. In, in, really, in regard to Judas the Galilean or the Golanite, the historian Josephus notes that he led a revolt against Roman taxation. Judas noted, this taxation was no better than an introduction to slavery. And he exhorted the nation to assert their liberty. His followers noted that God was to be the only ruler and Lord. Now, Gamaliel's advice was, in essence, leave the apostles alone and let things play out. 
If the movement's of man, it's going to fail. If it's of God, they might find themselves opposing God. Although they accepted his advice, they weren't going to just let them off the hook scot-free. So the apostles were beaten and then told not to speak about Jesus again. And you know, this wasn't just like a couple of slaps up the head like smarten up guys. Their beatings resulted in some serious pain to the apostles. But it made them rejoice and the apostles then went out and ignored the command not to speak about Jesus. So what does this mean for us? The signs and wonders the apostles did certainly got people's attention. Some think the physical healing was very specific and only done by apostles in those days. Others think people can still affect healing today. I would suggest that God still performs physical miracles. For example, a tumor disappears or a growth disappears. And I think it's still possible for people to possess the gift of healing, although I must say I haven't seen it myself. At least I'm not aware of it. Sorry, I haven't seen it myself. The important takeaway is signs and wonders were and are secondary to the gospel. They open people's hearts to the message of repentance through faith in Jesus. Does anyone remember the time, the miracle, when the woman was healed of a chronic blood condition by touching the hem of Jesus' garment? She sought a physical healing, and Jesus used an opportunity for a personal encounter. An angel of the Lord freed the apostles. The guards didn't even seem to realize the prisoners had escaped. Many would argue that this isn't real. didn't happen. There's no such thing as angels. I would suggest that it did indeed. Would these men have continued living the life of challenges, of persecution, for something that they knew to be false? Unlike the two uprisings that Gamaliel noted, this one hasn't fizzled out, and it's clearly of God, not of man. I thought it was interesting to note that Judas the Galilean, or Gaulite, was supposed to pay taxes, and God was supposed to be the only ruler and Lord. Jesus told the leaders to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. First Peter 2, 13-14 reads, Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent to him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. The angel of the Lord told the apostles, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. The leaders, however, ordered the apostles not to preach and teach about that name. Peter and the apostles made it clear, however, that they had to obey God rather than man. The gospel hasn't changed in all these years, has it? Jesus gave his life so that we can have life in him. He leads, we follow. He gets first place, we get second place. He gets the credit and the honor and the glory because that's what he deserves. Nor is Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations expired. It hasn't been rescinded. It hasn't been amended to say, if you feel like it. We too are to make disciples. 
to share the good news and help people grow in this life. Thankfully, we haven't reached the point where law says we can't preach the Gospels, as is the case in some countries. And we hear about that on a, just about every week. Technology has made it easier to share the Gospel, for example, via the Internet, radio, etc. I was really encouraged a while back uh, how people are still coming to faith when the Far East Broadcasting Group was here and just sharing some of the things that are going on. And it's not that there aren't other things people need to do in order to share the gospel in some countries, but uh, technology has certainly made it easier in some instances. Peter noted that God has exalted Jesus for repentance for Israel and the forgiveness of sins. We too need to repent, and we too need to be forgiven of our sins. None of us is so good that we're without sin. Repentance is more than just feeling sorry for what you've done. Repentance involves turning away from sin and towards God. Essentially, it's a change in our attitudes and our hearts. We need to be aware of our sin and that God in his mercy has dealt with it when Jesus died on the cross. If you haven't come to that realization today, I would urge you to consider this and do so. Now is the time to worship. Now is the time to give your heart. If we look at the Gospels and the Jewish leaders' relationship to Jesus, we see their questions weren't too bad at first. Some seem to be just looking for loopholes for themselves. For example, the rich man who wanted to know what he had to do to enter the kingdom. He kept all the commandments. Wasn't ready to give up all his money and give it to the poor, but, you know, he was pretty good. Or the question saying, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to help and be good to? Then they started to trick him and try and trap him. The falsehood started, and they tried to discredit him and keep him quiet. Then they sought to kill him. In our passage today, we see something at the latter end of that scale. The leaders are trying to keep them quiet, and then they're so mad, they want to kill them. We too are guaranteed to face opposition when we proclaim the gospel. Some will ask questions, some will openly challenge, and some will seek to discredit the message or the messenger. In some cases, some will seek to kill the messenger, and we know that many have been martyred for their faith in Jesus. The Bible is God's word, and yet so many are opposed to it in the message of salvation that lies within it. But as we've sung this morning and reflected on a bit already, we have Christ as our cornerstone, the weak made strong and the Savior's love. He will hold me fast, no matter what happens. The disciples went willingly with the captain and officers. They didn't take advantage of the crowd to escape. Although it may seem like physical violence is the appropriate response at times, I don't see this in the Bible. And I think at the end of the day, somebody else is just going to fill that void. We know that Jesus told Peter to put away his sword 
when they came to get him in the Garden of Gethsemane. In 1 Peter 2, 23 and 24, we read about the example Jesus set before us. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Our job is to make disciples, to teach, preach, and share God's love, all through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. It's a spiritual battle going on. It's going on behind the scenes, and we can't do this, nor should we try to do it on our own. The apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I would suggest that our lives are filled with an inner joy when we live in step with God's will and his spirit's leading for our lives. It's something that just transcends circumstances, whether good or bad. In other words, our view of God should color our view of circumstances. So in closing, I'll leave you with this. The apostles continued preaching and teaching about Jesus, regardless of the implications. So where do we get the motivation to follow their example? I would suggest it starts with an appreciation for who Jesus is and what he's done. So let's start with this. How much does Jesus love you? How much does Jesus love me? That much. The Son of God gave his life for the sin of the world, ours included. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's God's incredible grace and love poured out in Jesus Christ. And we've reflected on that earlier in this service, didn't we? I noted earlier that repentance involves an awareness of our sin. Jesus noted that he's forgiven loves much. And he who is, sorry, he who is forgiven much loves much. And he who is forgiven little loves little. I myself can say I've been forgiven much. Have you? We need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit if we're going to do anything for God. It means stepping back and letting Him lead. It's being willing to adjust our lives to God's will. We should be so full of love for God that we just have to share with others regardless of the implications for us personally. It's unlikely that we'll be beaten like the apostles were. But we will encounter other forms of opposition and can, like the apostles, rejoice when we suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And in all that we say and do, may God receive the honor and the glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is in the name of Jesus we breathe, we move, we have our being. Lord, bless this day. The rest of it still lies ahead. And you are our living hope. And we give you our thanks. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. 
We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area. Or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time. <music>